dominates the first uh, quite a few chapters here. And, of course, there's good reason that he, uh, God is using him to bring so many people to Christ. They're turning to Christ. And he's God's catalyst in the, in the explosion in, in Jerusalem. And, uh, of course, he's been in, throughout Judea. And he went to Samaria and preached there. Now he's going to the uttermost parts of the earth, uh, uh, to the Gentiles. Gone expanded on out and on up a, a little bit more north. Um, he's uh, the reactor there. And um, I think this is a very special commission that has been given to him. And, uh, of course, he opens the gates to the Gentiles, but Paul then is going to take the reins and be the apostle to the Gentiles as he goes out further. And uh, what is happening is that, this sounds kind of strange, but God's changing the rules in the middle of the game. (laughs) And uh, you'll see what we're talking about as we get to that. Um, First 20 verses really deals with how God prepares people to bring them into the kingdom. He prepares the one who's going to receive the message and He prepares the one who's going to give the message. Might have been preparing for a long time. Might be a short time. But God is always doing that. And He's absolutely sovereign in doing this, isn't He? Um, And He picks the exact time. It's not by accident when He uses that time. Aren't you glad you have a God that is in control of all these things? <laughs> and it's not just random acts that just happen? <laughs> just accident? So first of all, salvation begins with a sovereign call. starts with God. Peter is prepared and has been being prepared. Cornelius is the guy who's going to be saved. Uh, and then that's going to affect his uh, family, household, and all the people around so we we know we always look at it from the divine side. The natural man cannot respond to the things of God. He will not. He's spiritually discerned. He's spiritually dead. He's deaf. He can't comprehend. Even with the best of philosophies of man, he still not cannot comprehend God. Man is completely lost. He's blind. He's trapped in his sinfulness. He cannot get out of the situation that he's in. And of course, we give God glory on that because we were all there. But it says in John 1, as many as received Him, He gave the power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believed on His name. Not of the will of man, not of the will of the flesh, but of the will of God. So salvation is initiated with God in John 6.37. Jesus said, Him that comes unto Me, I will no wise cast out. But before that, He said, the only ones who can come to Me are those that the Father draws. It says it after. No man comes unto Me except the Father draws him. So it's a fascinating thing. God is in the business of choosing. By the way, on that... Uh, uh, when when Luke was giving that message and then he did the Q&A, then he and his wife, and his wife was just beaming as they were just taking this all in, uh, the people were. And the people, one of they sent somebody out as he was in his car and they knocked on his window and he rolled it down. <laughs> he said, hey, they want the Scriptures that you were using. Could you write those down, please? <laughs> I mean, that... 
that just does that overwhelm you? It does me. It usually don't get that kind of response, especially the first time. That is really that's a work of God. Well, they always liked him because he was such a strong uh, scripture. They always liked him preaching anyway. Teach a scripture. Teach a scripture. Well, he, I'm sure, uh, the reason I said that is because I'm thinking some of these verses that we just did there, and I'll move on now, but th- those verses um, probably are some of the ones that he probably had. So he wrote down. And that was the pastor, that had not uh, the former pastor that uh, was writing those down and was going to bring them back. I guess they were all going to kind of get around, <laughs> kind of jot those down. Anyway, uh, we're dealing with Caesarea now. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. I'll stop there. This is a a glorious place on the Mediterranean. A beautiful, beautiful place. You've probably seen pictures of Caesarea. And all the waves that are coming in and blue water. Uh, Today, it's ruins. But you can still see that there was quite a a city there. Uh, It was a military garrison. It was a place that was um, definitely Roman, Roman government. Uh, the headquarters of the Roman government, they had a headquarters there. There were soldiers all over the place. It was a military outpost, uh, population really high, uh, dominated by Gentiles. Definitely a Gentile city. There were a few Jews there, but uh, not, not a lot. Uh, it's about 30 miles north of Joppa. So we go up a little bit further north. We were at Lydda, and then about 10 miles, uh, which is going up to the north and I guess kind of the west, uh, was was Joppa. And um, there is what is known around that area as Tel Aviv today, and the airport around there and such. Anyway, he's um, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. So he's Italian or Roman. Uh, definitely um, one of those men who had the responsibility of a hundred men. And in the scriptures, you always see, it seems like always see, something very favorable about centurions. You ever notice that? Jesus had some good conversations with centurions. There was a centurion at his crucifixion. And uh, I think it's just interesting that uh, you have a centurion here. Uh, this man... Um, pretty, uh, I mean, he's got leadership uh, capabilities, definitely, and uh, quite a man who's known by uh, many people, and he has charge over a hundred men. So that's uh, that's a centurion. You go into verse two, and it says he's a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Now there's his religious life. He's a God fearer. And a God-fearer is uh, one who isn't a Jew. Uh, He would be a Gentile who is tired of the all the different gods, the idols that are in the Roman world. Uh, He's tired of uh, the nonsense that they have. And he starts to believe in one God. And um, he is drawn to the Jewish God. Um, now, there can be people who are called proselytes who uh, adapt to all of the circumcision, the rituals, the food laws, dietary laws. 
this God fear wouldn't necessarily have gone all the way with the circumcision thing. He says, ah, that's enough right there. We'll stop there. I'll believe in their God. As a matter of fact, I'll be glad to stay out there in the uh, the, the court of the Gentiles. But um, I don't uh, I don't want to go really any further with that. But he, he prayed. Uh, we know he is one who is uh, pursuing the Lord because the Lord is pursuing him, and he's prepping him, uh, and he's about ready. And it's interesting though; you can put it in a human way of understanding it. The more that God gives us and we take in, the more He shows of Himself. Ever notice that anybody that is really attracted to God's Word, then it's like He gives them more, and then boom, you know, uh, we have a we have a conversion. Yeah, so He has a seeking heart, and so He's living up to the light that God has given Him, and God moves in to give Him more light. Um, Cornelius is sovereignly chosen by God. Has a searching heart too, and let's look at the seeking heart. We, I think, we kind of looked at this a few weeks ago, but we run into this quite frequently. And uh, so, if you're if you're um, describing to somebody how God converts people and how He uses people and and to to bring them the gospel, and then at the same time how He brings people to Him, these are always some helpful scriptures. Um, Verse 6 of Isaiah 55, Also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him and to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast My covenant, even those I will bring to My holy mountain and make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on My altar, for My house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Of course, that's why there was a court of the Gentiles and at the temple, and that's the literal sense. But uh, you could take it on further out, and we too could be those foreigners and who uh, come into his house of prayer and are joyful in him and seek him out and trust in his sacrifice. Isaiah fifty-five six and seven. You might go to Jeremiah 29. So, that, so he's all throughout the Old Testament we see that God goes to Gentiles. This is nothing that's absolutely new, but as a as a whole, where he he now just unleashes everything. It just just will explode. And of course, we we see the new covenant promise, and of course in Jeremiah 31, where um, we see a new covenant where all will enter into that. In uh, 29.13, you will seek me. There you go. Barb, you were asking about that last week, about that verse. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And that goes along with our John 6, with what Jesus said, where He talked about the ones who uh, are drawn to him. And of course, the ones who are drawn to him are the ones that the Father has given to him. But he says, but this is an invitation in a general sense. We're to invite everybody, anybody, because we don't know who they are, to invite everybody. We're not hyper Calvinist, are we? No, we, we want to share the gospel with, with anybody because you never know. Even the, the worst kind, like Saul, <laughs> the murderer. Us. Anyway, um, men in our world don't seek.
seek out God, except for when God moves down and touches a life, turns that life around. Um, I think this man right here, he actually has been praying. He's been worshiping. He's not a full Jew. Not accepting all those things necessarily, but uh, he wants to worship God, no doubt. And so God says, okay, you know, I'm going to show you more. So since he was a God-fearer, he may have followed the custom of, it says here uh, in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, that would be three o'clock. Now, that is the time that the Jews would have their time of prayer. They'd be praying all day long, but there's a particular time that they would have that. We don't know. It doesn't say that, but it is interesting. This is about the ninth hour of the day right after you've been seeing here that he prayed to God continually. So he might have had a special time there, and this is when God um, is going to uh, give him a vision. I think is is it back in Acts three that uh, used that hour too? Yeah. Now Peter and John, verse one, were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Isn't that a hymn? That's a sweet hour of prayer, right? <laughs> Can you burst out in song there, Audrey, and sing that for me? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, um, you know, whenever we're praying and we're really seeking the Lord out, I mean, really trying to um, be really close to Him, whenever we're trying to honor God, it's like a, a smoke ascending from a fire. You know, it's like the, the prayers go up and they rise into the nostrils of God. Uh, what does He say? Um, a sweet-smelling savor, right? In course, in the in the temple or the tabernacle, they had the uh, altar of incense, and of course, the smoke would go up, and they had the sacrifice outside too, and that would go up to God, and of course, that would be a sweet-smelling savor to Him, representing the prayers of the saints up to His nostrils. So there he is. He he definitely he's not a Christian. And somebody'd say, Well, he's probably already a Christian. No, what what all is this all about? He 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 doesn't know Christ yet. He doesn't know him personally. But he's going to. And this is how uh, God uses it. So he definitely was prepared. We know that he's not a Christian because in Acts four twelve it's already been made very clear that uh Peter said this and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Christ and Christ alone. As you are talking about earlier, there is only one true religion and that's Christianity. So, um, we I'm going to read and read through to, 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 about verse 8 or 9 or somewhere around there and then we'll go into the preparation of Peter. We see this preparation though, don't we? Here somehow this this man has become uh, seeking out the Lord. We can say that about the ninth verse three. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. So this is the way that God is going to do it when He opens up floodgates here to the Gentiles. 
people like us. Fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. God liked him. Now, dispatch some men to Joppa. Send for a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon. It just kind of grabbed me. Why was Simon Peter staying with the, at this one guy's house? They had the same name. Uh, I don't know that. Okay, whose house is by the sea. So, it's somewhere there in Caesarea, right? No, no, Joppa. Right? He's, his house is by the sea. When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. I have to wonder if that soldier had become devout because of Cornelius. Or maybe they just met together and found out they were both that way. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So he's sending these guys out and he says, okay, I want you to go find this guy by the name of Peter. And it's by the sea and he's in a, in a tanner's house. That's, that's the directions. So I said, okay, can you give us a GPS? <laughs> give us a map. <laughs> on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Okay, now this here's where we're getting into the preparation of Peter. Scenes, it? it changed scenes. Yeah. What a what a story. Like watching the show. The Crave movie. Yeah. <laughs> this is real visual, isn't it? Yeah. Cut to the next scene there. What's going on simultaneously? Yeah. It's like they can, they can go back and forth here, you know. Yeah, I, I was going to say, yeah, um, really what he's doing there is something that would not what a Jew would ever find themselves in in this place. I mean, Simon, uh, the tanner, a tanner was a despised trade to a Jew. You have the flesh of dead animals. No self-respecting Jew would have anything to do with such a man. Now, Peter is staying at his house. This is Peter staying at his house. But he's still not ready. Peter doesn't understand the whole Gentile thing here. Um, doesn't get it. And God is going to just throw the whole thing at him right here. The scribal said, uh, law said the dwelling places of Gentiles are unclean. You could have a Gentile come in your house, but you don't go in to a Gentile's house. Peter stayed in the house. Prejudices are already being melted down here. You know, as... as um, you know, you have this tanner thing, the the, the skins and, and, and such. But he, he wants to prepare Peter for to make the two people, Jews and Gentiles, the one new man, as it's described. So he pre- prepares the Gentile. Then he prepares the Jew, Peter. And this has got to happen. And you can say, well, why did he pick Cornelius? Why didn't he pick somebody else? Well, then we'd probably say, well, why did he pick that person and not somebody else? (laughs) He wanted to use Cornelius. 
and Peter is the one he's going to use. He picks out two people, Cornelius and Peter, gives each one a vision, and this is a, a kind of a training and preparation. He gives a vision to Peter, and this is the beginning of the Gentile inclusion. That's why I'm saying this is really big. This is huge. This is, this is not something Peter's thinking of. But by the time you get to chapter 11, we're in chapter 10, by the time you get to chapter 11, the gospel's gone to Antioch. Gentiles are getting saved everywhere. They really weren't before. It's basically Jews. But by the time you hit chapter 13 and then Paul comes on the scene in his ministry, it's going full blast to the Gentile realm. And so it's moving out. And uh, the thing is really going. Jews and Gentiles are coming together. They're worshiping Christ together. That was the last thing you would ever think. And so um, we see that Peter is getting hungry. It says in verse 10, uh, it says, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now, this is a different day. The sixth hour is noon. The ninth hour is three. Then the sixth hour is noon. He's hungry. Goes up on, on the roof. Good time for the Lord to be uh, uh, getting His attention because He's going to use this food issue while He's hungry <laughs> to get His attention. He was desiring to eat. Uh, but uh, this, this what's coming in this vision is not exactly what He had envisioned on His plate. Uh, and... All, all the bacon that you could ever give Peter, and he maybe he'd be tempted. I don't know. I doubt, it, but he would not have eaten it. Peter was not ever going to do that. No ham, even with ham and eggs and a free breakfast, he would not attend. But while they were making preparations, God's making a preparation, and he fell into a trance. It's a vision. He saw the sky open. And an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth, birds of the air. A voice came to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. And I don't intend to do that now. (laughs) This is Peter, isn't it? Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Uh, Wow. Um, Now this roof, it's kind of a a good place to go in the hot time of the day. Just get up, get, get some fresh air, maybe get some rest, get a suntan, you know, whatever else. And meditation... He sees heaven open all of a sudden. Here comes this big sheet. Uh, you have four corners here. They're all probably all pulled together and tied with a rope. Whatever, they're extending into heaven. This thing is just lowered down. It's like a big tarp, whatever. It's like a sheet. Four corners tied. I think the, uh, the, the Greek allows that word to be like a sail on, on a boat. You know, pretty, pretty big. Uh, we have a sheet here. Now, you know, what we're getting abolished here are dietary laws. God has had this law, and there's ceremonial laws, dietary laws, and He can do what He wants. He never takes back His laws dealing with His character, the, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, the moral law and, and such. He doesn't take that 
But this is something he can do and not conflict with his nature. It was meant for a time period and no longer to be uh, needed in his law. Leviticus 11 talks about it. Uh, beast, you shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the beasts, you shall eat. Nevertheless, these shall, you shall not eat that chew the cud or them that divide the hoof. The camel, because he chews the cud, but divides not the hoof. He's unclean unto you and you can't eat the rock badger. <laughs> And Nando, you got to stop eating those rock badgers that you've been having your mom fry up every night. You got to. You gotta... <laughs> you can't eat the hair, and that's that's not the rabbit as we know that exactly. It's a Hebrew word uh, which is translated here, but uh, uh, you shouldn't eat pigs, so forth. Can't eat snakes. You can't eat out of the sea that uh, doesn't have scales or fins, and that's an abomination. goes all the way and down. The birds you can eat and the birds you can't eat, and so on and so forth, right? Why did God make clean and unclean animals? Why didn't He just make them all clean? Well, number one, this is true. I mean, this thing about the the unclean animals, the clean animals, um, there's, there's a... Some of them are more apt to carry... Uh, epidemic type diseases they can carry those and of course he didn't want to wipe out his people who were so close to each other so preparation and food in those days wasn't anything what uh, became God was kind of purifying Israel uh, is what he was doing they were always that way but the biggest reason is distinguish them from the Gentile peoples at that time and, but at one day, then he's going to bring them together as one, and then he's going to do away with that. Of course, in our times, we have, I think, um, more opportunities for to, those foods are, are clean. We, we have different ways of cooking and maybe uh, some things that uh, keep things more in a purified way. Um, but anyway, Peter is just perplexed. Not so, Lord. You remember when Jesus was here on earth? Peter made, I think, a career out of just rebuking him. You know, Peter's, oh, no, Lord, you don't have to die. You know, he's always correcting the Lord and telling him, you know, no, 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 Lord. I've never done that, and I don't, I'm not ever going to do that. I've never done it before. He, uh, you know, he was zealous for God's standards. It's a hard message for him to get. That's why. I think it says said three more times. <laughs> that's, Peter. that's Peter, isn't it? Uh, or, or Simon. I think at this time he's probably known as Simon. But um, what's the specific meaning of this vision? I think specifically he's saying, let's hang on here, right? Let's hang on to this. He's abolishing, I believe, the Old Testament Jewish dietary laws. They've always been important. Now all of a sudden they're being abolished. Why? They were designed to separate the Jew from the Gentile. What is the body of Christ designed to do so? To unify the two peoples, which it has, which it does. It unites. So he's trying to get it into Peter's head. Don't try to make the Gentile conform to dietary laws that God has set aside. I find it interesting. You have this incident here. And then in Galatians, where Peter 
uh, I think was went up to Antioch and he kind of he heard about the Judaizers coming, so he kind of separated from the Gentiles a little bit. <laughs> kind of interesting as as you see this right here. But God has in mind of removing that barrier. He put up a barrier, and now he's taking it down. So were the Gentiles eating ham and stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, they were really into the bacon. I mean ham, you betcha. Pork chops. And that's kind of in a Gentile area there in Israel. Yeah, he meant it for them, and and there was there definitely was truth to that because there there was a susceptibility to a lot of diseases as they had. So he he said that, but there are people today who are trying to follow God's laws, so they have the the Sabbath, they have the ceremonial rituals, and all those the food laws, and. Um, God has knocked all that down. You know, I mean, it's you know, people were so bound in, in those things, and so people try to do what the Jew did back there. Mm-hmm. You know, back at that time in the Bible times, and now today. And of course, you've heard of the Yahweh churches, or you'll you'll see some of the the Sabbath churches. It's a worship on the Sabbath only, and usually they'll have these kind of uh, other laws along with it too. They don't understand the being set set free in Christ. Yeah. Exactly. Barb. If I'm getting ahead, say so. But besides abolishing the dietary laws, isn't that where he's saying um, what I've made clean do not call well, my mind is common? Yeah. Isn't that where he's saying also, because I, I was reading ahead to verse 28, about including the Gentiles in the plan of salvation? That is what it's really about. It's not really the food issue here. It's really about Gentiles coming in. I, I just want to throw in, I, I've been amazed that eating locusts and such is kosher. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't hardly get around that. <laughs> you have a little bit of difficulty maybe yeah. putting one of those, choking one of those down? Well, especially when you hear about them being in plague you know, being a plague of locusts. So why would you want to? Oh, good, we got more to eat now. There's a bunch of them around. Right. It just doesn't seem to be too safe, too appetizing. I know this is serious, but just um, for a moment of levity, um, what you're talking about eating the ham and everything like that. Um, there was a priest and a, and a rabbi that went to a picnic together. And the priest was going to play up with ham and all kinds of other stuff like that. And, oh, I know I'm going to get this wrong. Um, pressure's on, Barb. Huh? The pressure's on now. Oh, no, no, you got us going. But um, the priest was telling the rabbi how good it is and, you know, just how savory and all the smoke flavor. And he was describing it in detail. He goes, when are you ever going to give in and eat pork? And the rabbi looked at the priest and said, when you get married. Priest, <laughs> <laughs> All those. It's funny. At the same time, it's so true. All those laws that are really, they're not they're not God's laws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. 
That's right. <laughs> well, right there, what what we're really doing is is taking the barriers down for the the church, and uh, I think the clean and unclean animals ultimately represent who Jew, Gentile, the um, Gentile is the unclean and the Jew is the clean and he's saying Jew and Gentile now are going to be mixed in the church don't you be calling them unclean because they're coming in the church so the tarp or the sheet is the church (laughs) I guess you could say church is born in heaven right and the church just came right on down to earth in the sense that it came from God I mean so it includes Jew, Gentile, and the significant part of the vision is that it says in the sheep, when it was finished, was received up into heaven. And, of course, we we sit in the heavenlies right now, don't we? We sit in the heavenlies. One day to be physically with the Lord. you got you got to like um, Peter's response and all of that. He was trying to keep his uh, uh, Jewishness and, and uh, the law all together there and uh, anyway, the fact is is that God is showing him something different again. He's constantly learning from the Lord things that are blowing his mind, and he just has a hard time swallowing it. But the Lord says, "This is the way it's going to be." The walls are going down. Let's look at 17. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed, greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision which had been seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house. There we go. There's the GPS. It's directions. It's it's talking with somebody and asking where is this. <laughs> and um, they they found him. They appeared at the gate, calling out. They're calling out there at the, this gate. Uh, this Simon the Tanner probably has quite a significant estate here. They were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, wouldn't this be something? Behold, three men are looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. This is from me. These three men that are coming, go down there and uh, just greet them. And matter of fact, just pay attention to what they're saying. Do whatever they say. <laughs> um, Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one who you are looking for. What's the reason for which you have come? Well, I guess so. He's been preaching the gospel and, and you don't always get good responses. Right? There are some people who hate you for that. And I'm wondering if he's thinking, three men are looking for me. Okay, I'll go down because the Lord told me to. What's this? You ever had somebody looking for you and somebody tells you that, hey, there's somebody out the door and you go, oh, I wonder what this is. Yeah. It's kind of scary, isn't it? Especially when you just had a weird dream. <laughs> yeah, he had a real one, didn't he? So, says, I'm the one you're looking for. And they said, Cornelius, a centurion. Well, he's a significant man. A righteous and God-fearing man. Well, that's even better, isn't it? Well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. Ah. Was divinely directed by a holy angel 
to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in, gave them lodging. Sure, come on in. They stayed the night. I think he has here, I think, some very obedient responses. The door is being banged on. This guy is saying, is there a guy named here, Simon Peter? And of course, God prepares the the receiver, Cornelius, and he's prepared Peter. He's preparing him more. And before he could wake up out of that vision or whatever it was that he was going through, that, that trance, he hears this banging on the door, and there the guys are. Wow. Well, no, he's back there in Caesarea. And this is where human responsibility does come in. He's been prepared by God, but yet at the same time, he goes and does what the Lord says there. Even though he doesn't really know what's happening, for sure. It's requiring obedience, and then then he gets the message from these guys. So there was obedience. There was obedience on Peter's part, right? There was obedience on the part of um, the centurion. And, and, of course, these men who went uh, and followed the orders of the centurion. So he faces these three Gentiles, invites them in and to stay there with him and Simon uh, the Tanner uh, house there. Uh, and then there are certain brethren from Joppa that accompany Peter. I think it's amazing. They went with those Gentile men that came from the centurion. And they're going to travel um, ten more miles, a few hours. How many hours would it take to go ten miles? Not running, just walking, walking fast. Would you say somebody estimated maybe five hours? Four to five. Two miles? I'd say four to five. Yeah, that's what they were saying, something like that. So it's pretty close, right? You got a Yankee cap that has pink letters on it. Back in the '60s, they wouldn't have had one of those. <laughs> I think that's cool. <laughs> that's clean now. I get my lesson. Okay. Okay. Certain brethren. They're going along. This is amazing. Peter takes them without any direct command from God. They're going to the house of Cornelius. This, this is just this is way beyond our, our thinking here. So it says, um, and on the next day went up with them. Some of the brethren from Joppa company. We already said that. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. They know he's going to come, so he's got all these people around. You can imagine, probably quite a few of them. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him. Now that's odd. Well, Cornelius has a lot of things to learn yet. But Peter is this great apostle. And he'd gotten the vision about this, so this must be, you know, like next to God. And he knows Jesus and everything, you know. But no man is ever to be worshipped, no angel is ever to be worshipped, only God and God alone, right? Jesus is to be worshipped. And Jesus never turned down worship, did He? So that's a good one for the deity of Christ. 
when you see the, the passages that deal with the worship of Christ and somebody doesn't believe in the deity of Christ, you can say, who alone is to be worshipped? Are men to be worshipped? I don't think most people will say men are to be worshipped, although I think that does happen. But um, God and God alone. Well, how come Jesus never um, backed down or told people to back down from their worship of Him? Right? So anyway, but this man is doing that. Of course, Peter raises, uh, raised him up, saying, "Stand up, too. I'm just a man." Gets him up, you know. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled in a Gentile house, and he said to them, "You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. You know this." And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. God used that vision to make it very clear. Things are changing. I'm changing the rule here. Now, you're going to go... And, and so, he's, he's going to enter this house. He entered the house. He's in it. Walls are breaking down for Peter. Of all people, Peter, the, you know, the rock... Iraq is breaking down a little bit here, taking the opportunity to share Christ. That is why I came without even raising any objection. No Jew would have followed these men here. I want to tell you, God is changing things. He's changing me. So I ask for what reason you have sent for me. What's, what do you want? Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. There's our answer right there, isn't it? I was praying during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Make sure we don't get anybody confused. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We're here. We're waiting. Do it. Remember when we were talking about Luke? It's just like there's the people responding and they were waiting to hear about the doctrines of grace. <laughs> How can this be? Only by God. This is a supernatural thing. Supernatural. That's what we want because we'll never do anything naturally, will we? We can't. We don't have any strength. Don't have any power. What's going on? Well, the Gospel is getting ready to be preached to people who are willing and waiting. Opening his mouth, Peter said, and here's an introduction. <laughs> and he's already kind of introduced it. Now I'm going to tell you what, what, I, what I saw. And, you know, the Holy Spirit here is using the, these illustrations. I most certainly understand now that, is, that God is not one to show partiality. There's where that comes in. Now, you'll see it in the Old Testament. You'll see verses dealing with that. You'll see it even in the New Testament. God is not partial to anybody. Well, of all people, at least He should have been to Peter, right? Peter was an apostle of Jesus and such. No, not even him. 
because he 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 says, I want to tell you, God is not. If, if the way the Jews believe it, you were born a Jew. You were you were you were a believer. I mean, you were automatically into heaven. That's the way they really basically thought of it. At least many of them did. And he's saying, that's not the case. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. This is around... Remember Joppa? There was a man who got on a boat running away from God at Joppa. Do you know who he was? He was a prophet. There's four chapters. Jonah. He thought the way that all Jews thought. And he didn't want to see any Gentiles saved. And even when he gave the message, he knew that God would convert him. And he didn't want that. And then he went up and got on and sat down. He was underneath a tree and everything. And then God took that little <laughs> vine away from him. Well, Peter has been broken. Absolutely broken. How much more are you going to have to break? Well, we just continue to break. We continue to reform, don't we? We think we got it together. He just keeps on doing it, folks. He wants to break us down all the way he's doing it. Every nation. You don't speak that way as a Jew, even though they were called to do that. That's what they were about. And that's what they're going to do no matter whether they want to or not. The apostles are going to take the gospel out to the Gentiles. And they did it because God called the, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. That's the way it worked, even though they rebel against that even. Incredible. The word which He sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea. You've heard about this. You heard about this, Jesus. Starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know about that, don't you? You know of Jesus of Nazareth. They knew about that. How God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power. How He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Wasn't the power, the supernatural power? What He spoke. God was with them. We are witnesses of all the things that He did. We saw it. We were right there. This did happen. We were there. Peter never forgot that. And you'll see it in his writings. He, he remembered the Mount of Transfiguration. He did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put Him to death by hanging Him on a cross. What does He preach? The death. The resurrection. The life of Christ. The death of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. That's what He preaches. God raised Him up on the third day, granted that He become visible. Not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with Him after He arose from the dead. He appeared to us. God chose that to be. And He ordered us to preach to the people which is what Peter's doing now, and he has been doing, and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. This Jesus is the judge. Of him all the prophets bear witness. It's been spoken of throughout all the Old Testament that through his name everyone who believes in him, look at this, receives forgiveness of sins 
your guilt is taken away. This is a, just in these few short words we see Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection, and then what He does after that. He orders His people to preach it out and they bear witness and they proclaim forgiveness of sins. And while Peter was still speaking these words, talking about a divine interruption, the Holy Spirit, look at this, the Holy Spirit interrupts the message. <laughs> this is great. Fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. What happened in Pentecost happened here. Peter the Apostle is there to give witness to the fact that this happened and shows these guys, these Gentiles, are true. To the Gentiles, it shows that what the Apostle is saying is true. And there's an evidence here that is needed because they go, we're taking steps from Jerusalem Judea, Samaria. We saw that back in Acts 8. And we saw the Holy Spirit come there. Now He goes to another group again. And each time we see this sequence, it's to another group. And so you want to trace uh, the speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit coming. It's at those times. At 8 and then 10. And then later on, all the way on out to Ephesus in Acts 19 to the guys who were being baptized of... Uh, John the Baptist baptism not Christ baptism and so they too experienced the same thing it started at um, uh, Jerusalem at Pentecost but here it goes out to all those other ones and it proves to them that what they have is true and the apostles are always present take note of that Everyone, every time you see this at this different stage and that's what he told them to do you go to these and they've gone all the way out there so it says in 46, For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Peter's seen this before, hasn't he? Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? He's speaking to the Jews that came with him. We can't refuse this. This is real. Just like what happened to us, it happened to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And why don't we do the outward baptism to show what has happened inwardly? The Holy Spirit has come. And He ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Him to stay on for a few days. (laughs) Teach us more. We don't have enough. Keep it coming. Don't you know that He preached and taught the counsel of God? Uh huh. And some t- another time you'll see it different. There are people who say you can't be filled with the Spirit until you're baptized. You must have forgot about this section. Right. Right. Exactly. It showed that they were believers, right. and you know they were they were seeing uh, what happened in Jerusalem and what happened in Samaria, and now they're seeing it here at Cornelius's household, and this just has to blow them away. This. This is a supernatural thing of taking them into the church. So, you know, he just cuts right through uh, this this whole deal. And, and, of course, the Holy Spirit comes in. And you look at 11.17 and 4. We're past time. I'm going to close this thing down. But 
and 17, Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as He gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the I that I could stand in God's way? He's defending Himself. How could I not baptize them? Because this is a real thing. He, he, he had no other choice, right? And you go to chapter 15, verse 7 and 8, and this is the council, the Jerusalem council. And in 7 it says, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as He also did to us. Now that's a little bit later, and that's whenever they have the big discussion in in the church. But he says that's what happened, and and God used my mouth to to do that. And so they're um, Holy Spirit there. They're speaking with tongues or exalting God. Uh, same kind of thing that happened in Jerusalem. And then you have baptism, which represents confession, forgiveness of sins, dying with Christ, and coming up alive new. And then you see discipleship in the very last verse there, don't you? In, in that uh, they asked him to stay on for a few days. I don't know how long those few days were, but I bet you almost every waking moment he was giving them everything that he had with the Holy Spirit empowering that. And boy, he, you know, he preached the message God used. Did you see the preparation on this all the way through? That's how God converts people. Incredible. Well, we need to close in prayer. Uh, um, is there anybody that really needs to be prayed for here? Um, we, we prayed for Barb last week. And Barb said she really appreciated that because she's going through a world of physical hurt and uh, sometimes are worse than others. And uh, But she really appreciated that. And uh, Carolyn did too. We prayed for her and we pray that uh, there would be relief, healing, or however the Lord wants to use it, and uh, just just keep praying for them. Uh, if we have others that, that need that, uh, we want to bring that up. Yeah, Julia, how's your back doing? It's okay. I'm still wearing my brace. Still dealing with it. And you have an ongoing back problem that goes back years. So you've had uh, quite the problem. That's who I was going to mention, Dwayne, Dwayne and Sherry. I, I I keep talking with them and um, just keep praying. Um, I thought he might be here tonight. He he said he would like to come back on a Wednesday night. Um, Jordan's mom and dad are down at the lake, and they wanted Zach to come down there. And it's kind of Zach said he considered Jordan like a brother. Carol, did you speak up? Oh, sorry. Um, Zach's friend Jordan had committed suicide back in November of the last year, and Zach was really close. But he was his best friend, and it was in his position. He said he considered Jordan to be like a brother. But for Jordan to take his life, it's been very hard for Zach. But his mom is... Well, for Zach, anyway, his parents, Jordan's parents are down at the lake. They came in from Dallas, and they were asking to see Zach and stuff. And 
he's with them right now, and he just kind of, it's hard for him to see them. They like to talk about the things in Jordan, and he can definitely very, very mad at what Jordan did. And he's kind of dreading it in one way because he can't think fond things of Jordan because he's just, he's so mad at how he's hurt so many people by being selfish for his own, yeah. And stuff. Zach had actually went down last year a real rush to see Jordan to see Jordan was in trouble, but Jordan missed him. I think I told Zach I gotta go down there tonight, but he doesn't have any words to say. You know how you comfort him. And he too is just frustrated with something. Jordan did and Jordan has brother and sister and so he tried to make the most of it, but he said it's kind of a he felt like you know it's nice for me to see him, but I yeah, for some ways I don't wanna I don't wanna see him. Yeah, so he was asking him to pray. He gets um he started working full time again with Zach over at the coffee shop because he Andrew can't hold his job down. He's doing pretty good and now all of a sudden he's had a episode last couple of days here. Yeah. So and uh, um, the guy that owns the house, and Zach has been pretty. Zach and Daniel. Daniel's the owner of the house. Daniel's now moving out, and it's now leaving Zach and the financial burdens. Plus, taking on he doesn't make much, and Andrew not being able to work all the time is really stressing Zach out. He needs, he needs Andrew to be able to work. So, you know, Andrew wants to stay there. But Zach can't carry that whole load all by himself now. And Daniel's going on to another job, so he'll be probably not make, you know, they have to pay the bills to stay for themselves. Lots going on with him, too. Small things like you can't take, you know, Andrew out if he's sick. Because you also need him to be able to work, you know, if he's just going to stay. Thank you.